Well, don't, don't start it yet, Chris. <laughs> Let's pray first. Yeah. Yeah, we're, uh, we're all good Baptists, and we're here early. We're like a minute early. So let's, let's go ahead and pray. Our dear Father, we just uh, thank you for this day, Lord. We uh, thank you for the possible rain, and uh, Lord, we thank you for the, for the new sign. Um, just pray that uh, people would see it and uh, feel, feel welcome to come and uh, check out this place. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you would be with us here this evening and uh, bless our time of worship and uh, learning the word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, to God be the glory. To God be the God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life in atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. The Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory great things he hath done O oh, perfect redemption the purchase of blood to every believer the promise of God the vilest offender who truly A pardon receives. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he hath done. Great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done, and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport, when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he hath So prayerfully, turn me down just a little bit, Leonard. Sounds like I'm too, a little too hot. 
Um, Prayerfully Electric will be on the sign tomorrow and completed, and they'll get that panel on this side. And we got we found out we got to do a little landscaping around it before we can call for our final inspection, and we should be good to go. But hopefully tomorrow night it'll have lights on it. So, all right, we are continuing on in chapter four and starting in verse 18. And your guys' fill-ins are pretty simple tonight, pretty easy. Um, Daniel's got some splaining to do. So in verse 18, it says this. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now Belteshazzar, he, he, he goes back. He's going back and forth between Daniel and Belteshazzar again. Tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. He's recognizing again, but he's vacillating back and forth between, and, and this is part of the problem, he's vacillating between his gods and Daniel's God. So this is, becomes a problem. Um, the king calls upon Daniel to interpret, and his confidence in Daniel and his ability is right there. He doesn't have a problem with that. He knows that he can reveal and interpret it for him. But the king has sort of this, it may be bad news, right? And you have to think, Daniel for one whole hour says nothing. He's quiet. He understood the meaning of the dream. He knew how to interpret it, but he really didn't want to tell the king. But the king comes along and he says, you know, you need to tell me. You need to tell me this now. Um, I think it's interesting that, that Daniel didn't want to give him tragic news and be the bearer of that bad news. Because you've got to remember, what, what happened to that first round of guys that gave you know, couldn't answer the question. I mean, they didn't even give him any bad news, just, you know, what happened to him. Um, I think any true man of God really doesn't want to give anybody bad news. But sometimes you have to deliver that bad news. <coughs> and King Nebuchadnezzar knew that Daniel was hesitating for a reason. He understood that there was bad news coming. So he tells him, I want to know the truth, and I want to know it now. So if somebody would read, it's a long passage, it's 19 through 26. You can read it from your version, or you can read it from this NIV version. But if you would read that next passage for me, please. <coughs> then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air, you, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong, 
Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. But you, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump, bound with iron and bronze, in the grass of the field, while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my lord the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven is in you. Okay, so it's interesting. There's two possibilities theologians debate about. That, that statement where he says, um, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The, the first meaning is this dream is really going to please your enemies because the fulfillment of it is going to make them really glad. Then the second possible interpretation is that I wish this calamity was not meant for you. They're not sure how that plays out. And it's, it's almost a 50-50 split between the theologians as they look at those particular verses. But Daniel told the king the interpretation. And when he says, it is thou, O king, or it is you, O king, that's like a, a nail in a coffin lid. But he's delivering the message. He's telling him anyway. Um, but those explanations are, number one, authoritative, and number two, accurate. And he's telling them exactly what it is that's coming about in regard that God is telling them is going to happen. And that interpretation, while it may be bad news for Nebuchadnezzar, um, he has to understand that God's purpose will be accomplished no matter what takes place. And he's given Nebuchadnezzar several chances before this. We've already read those and learned about those a little bit. And he still refuses to surrender. You guys ever do that? No? So it's really, it's really hard that Nebuchadnezzar, there's no way Nebuchadnezzar could miss and not realize what the interpretation meant once Daniel explained this to him. It's pretty point blank, it's pretty set, and straightforward. Um, it's real close when he says, it's thou, O king. It's pretty close to what Second Samuel, uh, what uh, Nathan said to Samuel, or David in Second Samuel. When he said, you know, it is thou, you art the man. When he took Bathsheba, and killed Uriah, or had Uriah killed. He says he must cut down the tree, and it will be left as a stump in the field, and it will be covered with brass and iron. What, what does that mean? What's he saying? 
He's going to be left in the field. Okay, but why is he? Why is he going to be? He's he's going to be shackled. They're going to put him in irons, and and they're going to leave him outside. Because he's a wild animal, and he's he's going to become his in his mind he's going to become a wild animal. We're going to read about that more in a minute, but that's that's part of the dilemma. It's it's interesting that. Even though he's going to be dethroned and debased and cast out, if he's going to behave like a beast, his royal court is going to treat him like a beast. But they're still going to protect him. I find that interesting. They're still going to chain him up and, and keep him where they can watch him. So it's, it's interesting to me. The reaction of Daniel in 427 is, is really interesting. He says this, get over to that page here. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Now, did the king ask for advice? What was, what was usually the problem with giving advice to a king? Unless you were asked for it. Renounce your sins. Now, this is really dangerous. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by do, being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. He's trying to give the king another opportunity to repent. And, and the king is so hard-hearted and so hard-headed, he won't do it. And this verse, I, I read three or four commentaries about this. This verse stands alone. All by itself. And I'm in, I'm, I find it interesting that, that a lot of commentaries don't address this particular verse. Because the reason it stands alone is it gives the king the opportunity to repent one more time. And Daniel is really, from a historical narrative, is trying to appeal to the king. And the king's not going to listen still. So... I think Daniel had a compassionate heart for the king. I really do. I think he wanted him to repent um, because he treated him and his three companions so well, but the king was just not going to do it. Um, he wanted the king to surrender his life completely. Second Timothy says of ministers of the gospel, Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. You know, Daniel tried that. He really was. But the king wasn't having it. Peter was such a preacher as that, described in 2 Timothy when he was in the sermon at Pentecost. And, and I've got some, some coinciding verses from Acts about this. And we need to think about this as we look at this. There's an explanation that comes from Acts 2, 16 and 22. As we look at some of this. Uh, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughter will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. Guys, you, you dreaming dreams? 
There's some nights I have nightmares. <laughs> Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above the signs on, on the earth, below blood and fire and billows of smoke. What is going on in the world today? We just saw it in these tragic fires in Maui. Do you realize I just read something today? Freak me out. They say there's two common denominators in what happened in Maui and what we have here in Arizona. And it's that stupid wild buffalo grass. Think about that for a minute. Um, yeah. Yeah. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. He's saying, look, this is an explanation of everything that's going to happen prior to the end times. This is what's getting ready to take place. But even though this is getting ready to take place, the Israelites are not listening. King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't listening. None of those folks there were listening at all. And then there's a proclamation of this. He says, This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me. To the realm of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it, exalted by the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what we now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet. So we see the explanation of what's going to take place. We see some kind of proclamation that's going to take place. And then there's an application, a real brief application in 36 and 38. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter, just like Daniel, gave the same message. They were faithful men in ministry, and they were given that same message, and yet they were rejected time after time. I think that that should be a lesson to us that there's going to be people that we talk to and people that we try to encourage and people that we try to woo into the kingdom of God are still going to say no. Um, it, uh, unfortunately, that's part of it. <clears throat> but unlike the hearers on Pentecost is on your handout, Nebuchadnezzar did not take the prophet's advice. The heart of the man has not changed since. You know, we see hard-heartedness everywhere we look. Did you guys, I, I know some of you watch the news faithfully. The Nike store that was hit $300,000 worth of merchandise in that flash mob. Did you hear about that? No. Did you hear the next day, the very next day, another Nike store down the road was hit by another flash mob for a whole bunch of stuff? I don't get it. I understand why they're doing it, but I don't get it. Um, it's, it's, it's very, very sad. Then there is the rebellion of Nebuchadnezzar. Going back to Nebuchadnezzar in our story. 28 through 30 says, All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built? That was his mistake. As the royal residence, by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty, there's the last three nails in his coffin lid. There was a slight change in his attitude previously, but there's not now. He's back exactly where he was before. And it's, it's interesting that it's, he, he, it's sort of written in the third person. He's, he's talking about himself to himself. Um, at any rate, all that came to pass. Everything that Daniel prophesied came to pass. And God waited one full year to give him the opportunity to repent in that year's time. Scripture says that God is long-suffering. 2 Peter 3.9 says, Long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God gives us opportunities. God gives the whole world opportunities, but they often don't take them. So he executed judgment, and then it, it really gets a little tough for King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Daniel's not in any danger or anything, but he's, I mean, put this picture in your mind. The king's walking on his terrace, he's on his palace, and he's full of arrogance and pride once again, and he makes that statement, and God says, okay, time to be humble. And he shuts him down. 
this haughty king is refusing to bend to the Lord's will. Now, I know none of you have never done that. But. <laughs> we need to be careful because he will only treat us with grace, mercy, and kindness for so long if we're rebellious and we're resistant. Um, and Nebuchadnezzar treated that kindness and, and grace and mercy from God with contempt when he made those three statements right there. He was taking credit for everything when God had put him in that place of power. And God was using him to serve God's purpose. We talked about that a little bit. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. That's exactly what we're seeing in all these robberies and flash mobs and everything else. And it's, it's, it's unbelievable to me. Um, but that's, that's what's taking place. Proverbs 29.1 says, A man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Now it's fortunate Nebuchadnezzar gets another chance. But that chance is not going to last very long. So we have to be very, very careful and very, very aware and beware of how we treat God's patience and long-suffering with us. So then there's the retribution of God. There's the retribution of God. And look at what he says in 31 through 33. Somebody read that for us if they would, please. The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what I decree for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass before you until you acknowledge the Most High, the sovereign of the kingdoms of men, and give them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven, until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle, and his nails like the claws of a bird. I want you to grasp the concept in this, in, this, in this first sentence or two. The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. He was still bragging and being, being full of himself. The words were still on his lips and a voice comes from heaven. How would you like to be carried on a conversation like that and all of a sudden I hear, hear a voice from heaven saying, are you paying attention? Guess what? Time has come. God interrupted him with the voice from heaven. In the, in the King James, it says the words fell on him. Think about that for a second. It fell on his proud heart and his hard heart like a bomb. You know, there was no mistake in Nebuchadnezzar's mind then who was speaking. But it was too late. And I wonder, I often wonder when I read this story and think about this story, is that how it's going to be for those people who refuse to accept Christ when time comes for us to be taken out and just immediately after the rapture? 
They're going to be crying out like they were in Noah's days to get on the boat. And they couldn't get on the boat because the door's already shut. I think some will and some won't. There'll be those who are like, oh, you know, they should have paid attention. Others go, oh, no, yo, this will pass. As soon as the voice was finished, Nebuchadnezzar became irrational. He, he lost it. He himself thought, thought of himself as an ox, so he became an ox. And, the, and, and he started eating the grass and seeing himself as some kind of wild animal. He was in a demented state. And he was that way for how long? Seven years. That's a long time. That's a lot of winters out there. And even though he had hair that looked like feathers, you know, I... I yeah, yeah, it would have been a funny looking ox, right? Yeah. 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 It... I just, it's an odd judgment, but it's probably one of the most solemn and somber judgments I've, I, I, I read about in the Bible. You know, that, that a man goes through that and he's allowed another chance still because he finally looks up to heaven. He finally turns to the Lord as he should have in the first place. <clears throat> Proverbs 6, 6 16 through 19 says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, and feet that are quick to rush into evil, and a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among the brothers. That's the things that God really hates. And sometimes we need to remember those things because we're guilty of those things and we don't even mean to be sometimes. But we have to pay attention to what Scripture says. You know, I think Nebuchadnezzar forgot that it's only God that has the sovereign authority and can exercise that sovereign authority in heaven and on earth to take care of that. Isaiah said this in his pronouncement the king of Babylon, he talked about in, in chapter 14, verses 4 through 14. I'm not going to read them because it's too lengthy. But he, he talks about and basically is pronouncing judgment that God is going to bring against the king of Babylon in the same way and against Satan and charges them with two sins, pride and ambition. Pride, pride is one that's really bad. And I find it interesting that the LGBTQ, whatever it is, takes pride as their theme. Think about that. Then you have the rest restoration of Nebuchadnezzar. The restoration. Somebody need that? read that next passage for us, please, 34 through 37. I praise the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. 
dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Do you think he finally got the message? I think he did. Yeah, I, I think he finally got it. It's a, it that, those last few passages are a message of hope and encouragement, if we really look at them and read them. Um, he said, it, it occurred when I lifted up his eyes to heaven that he was really ready to accept God as God. And God was bigger than he was. Somebody was talking to me today and and they referred to, you know, God is bigger than the boogeyman according to VeggieTales. I said, yeah, I remember that. Um, all the beasts, think about this. All the beasts of the field are always looking down. But man is to look up. And he, he finally realizes that. But it took him a long time to finally look up. And he paid the consequences of that. Prayerfully, he learned it well. Um, there's a spiritual, a moral, and ethical uh, instruction in this story, and you can tie it all together. Uh, there's an evidence of the king's changed heart when he praised and honored God. And we see that and we hear that in the, in the words and the verbiage. There's also his arrogance and pride was replaced with adoration and praise for God. And it's really hard sometimes to do that when you're that prideful and arrogant. Um, I think there's no lesson more important for, for us as men and women to learn is that even a person that is sinful and erring in their ways, if you would, has another chance if they will simply look to God and surrender. They can be saved. They don't always want to be, but they can be. Okay, uh, He continues his praise throughout all this, and he said that God was ultimately the way, and he was in charge of the heavenly host in heaven, on earth, and everything above and below the earth. He basically said, God is God of everything. But it took him a little while to get there. The king's testimony points to the blessings that he enjoyed in a lot of years. So on your outline, Isaiah... 45, 22, turn to me and be saved, all you the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. It took seven long, humiliating years for Nebuchadnezzar to learn the needed lessons. And he praised God, he, we talked about those things, but the king's testimony points to the blessings he enjoyed in those later years. But he only had just a little over a year and then what happened after his restoration and return to the throne, he lived only for about a year and then his son, Merodach, took over 
And Merodach was evil. He was more evil than King Nebuchadnezzar initially, from what history repeats. He reportedly occupied the throne during his years of his insanity, and he succeeded the king of Babylon as its next ruling monarch. So we don't hear any more about Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel. He's done. Jeremiah 23, 24 says this. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. So, questions, thoughts about chapter 4 from last week or this week? What do you think about what do you think about Nebuchadnezzar's attitude and actions? Kind of like Satan in his attitude. Yeah. Before he was thrown down the Yeah. Here. All right. Kind of typical for a politician. <laughs> <laughs> typical for a politician. Okay. Well, while you're right, I believe, but, you know. I think it's like a lot of us in, you know, some of higher ways and other ways that yeah, we want to do it our way or, you know, maybe that get as far as Nebuchadnezzar did, but we all sometimes give God a hard time. <laughs> yeah. And don't learn, you know, you, I read this and I've read like other people in the Bible and they're given second chances and you think, gosh, I didn't learn the first time, and then I look at my own life, I look around, and like, yeah, there's a lot of us that don't learn the first time. Yeah. Would you? Do you think Nebuchadnezzar thought that there was degrees of sin, and that's why it didn't bother him to be so proud and arrogant? Maybe he didn't think that was too bad of a sin. Warren. I think it's a, a question of pride. A king is in a position where he has, inevitably, he has a bunch of yes men around him. He's told he's great all the time. And instead of realizing that he's successful to glorify God, like we're supposed to do, he uses that success to build up his own ego. Okay. And the people, of course, are going to go along with it if they want to remain in his court. Otherwise, yeah. it's just head their head. Yeah, yeah. I've often wondered about the, the sin issue, though. Yeah, uh, Tim. I'm just struck with the idea that there are so many lessons that are about kings or leaders, or especially in the Old Testament, but he did teach in the New Testament, and I, I think that uh, one of the great ways to tell a story is to exaggerate things a little bit and they'll you know they'll, they'll go through with the character it has to go through this but it's a bigger thing than we really think we're going to go through but i think all of the lessons are are so germane that we just they, they're just so there in front of your face because they are bigger you know i i could see you know, i was the king of babylon 
I, I don't think I'd be like this really resistant, humble person. I, you know, after a while, my purple would be better than anybody else. Yes, <laughs> indeed. I, you know, I, I, I can't imagine. Because you have the royal robes, right? <laughs> well, I just can't imagine that, you know, I wouldn't fall to that. I mean, you just like, well, we got to see this stuff. You yeah. Know? It's, it's hard to plug it into our own lifestyle and, and situations. Yeah, I got that. Shelby? And he was also human, and like most of us, we learned from our Yeah, yeah, that is true. That's why the Word tells us it's so hard for a rich man to get into heaven. You know, if you got everything, you don't need God. Yeah. I mean, that's your fault, you know? I got everything I need. I'm doing fine. My family's fine. I got a nice car and nice home. That's it's easy to get that way. I think I think that is probably the hardest individuals I've ever tried to witness to is someone that's very affluent. Because they don't see that need, like you said. You know, well, I have this, I have that, I have why do I need that? I'm okay. But they're stuck in the physical realm. You know, they don't, they don't see any need for spiritual things. And we're seeing that more and more, unfortunately. All right. Um, let's have a little praise and prayer time. Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I fly away. 